Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, or outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few managers, just join one of our open enrollment cohorts that we start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, as we start inching toward the return to the physical office, as we are getting into spring and summer of 2021, many of you have questions on how we handle that. Well, I have a guess that we originally intended to talk about that, but we actually switched about a quarter of the way through the interview to something that I think might even be more beneficial for us. Our guest today is Chris Nichols. Now, he is a branding expert, a marketing expert, a recruiting expert who's right here in the Nashville, Tennessee area. We sat down and had a conversation that was supposed to be about the return to work, but we started talking about recruiting and trends, and the conversation sort of took off from there. So we have agreed to have Chris come back to the show and truly talk about return to work, but I think you're going to find the talent management part of this is going to be even more beneficial for you right now. We had a lot of good discussion on some topics that are really important, engagement, how to get people focused, what his thoughts are on hiring bonuses, just lots of great information. So I'll quit talking. Let me get out of the way. You can hear him talk. You know what to do. Time to buckle that seatbelt and put that personal item under the seat in front of you. We're going to taxi off and take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Chris Nichols, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mac. I am, I am so glad to be here. It's great having you. It's really great having actually, you know, guests that are local. It'd be perfect if you could come down to the, uh, you know, eighth story of my office complex here in the metropolis of Dixon, Tennessee, um, which you know is actually not correct. Dixon has no, a Walmart no, 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 and a lot of fast Dixon. food and whatever, yeah. but yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah, so we're virtual today, but uh, it's great to connect with you. And uh, I'm interested to talk to you today about return to work. It's a real challenge people are wrestling with right now. I know you have a lot of thoughts on it and you are really engaged in this topic. So we're going to get to that. But before we do, Chris, I was hoping you could talk about yourself, share your journey and your background and what brought you to what you do today. Um, thank you again, Mac, for, for having me. I'm excited to talk return to work um, because of what I do today. And we're kind of at the intersection of, of returning to work, being at work, having been at work being at home, talent acquisition. I feel like I, I kind of can touch on all, all aspects of it, but my background um, 
I am with an organization called Endeavis. We are a full service recruiting firm. We do contingency recruitment, retain search, uh, contract staffing, both uh, temp and, and professional staffing and uh, recruitment outsourcing. And so we work with our partners on a number of different levels from, from the C-suite down to their, their hourly employees. My path um, actually began out of sports and entertainment. And I worked in college athletics and really worked in a space that was highly competitive. Um, it required a lot of effort, a lot of hours, 80 to 100 hour work weeks. And so um, the recruiting industry is, is unique because I was able to take a lot of the skills from sports and entertainment um, because it's a lot of marketing and selling and, and branding and bring that over to the, to the recruiting and, and talent acquisition marketing side uh, at Endeavis and bring some new thoughts and ideas on how we can approach how we engage people because the world of recruiting has been fairly stagnant for the last three decades. And the last few years we've started to see uh, some, some, some real progress being made when it relates to technology and the recruitment process, the way that employers are utilizing marketing to attract candidates. I wish they were, there was more of them doing that. We're starting to see, um, also how marketing uh, is becoming more about experience rather than about ads, whether it's digital or traditional ad, ad placements and newspapers or billboards. And for me, the, the opportunity to be in marketing, which my role as vice president of marketing at Endeavis, it allows me to touch everything in our organization. And uh, I'm a big believer that experience is everything. How someone interacts with your brand is a direct reflection of, of what that organization is. It's not about the fancy sayings. It's not about the taglines, but it's about the one-on-one -on -one experience that someone has. And so if, I, if I'm interacting with you online, if I'm interacting with a salesperson in person, if I'm interacting with a salesperson virtually, if I'm interacting with your brand, even at a store, all of those things start to tell me more about who that organization is. And that's where you can even look at it as product placement. Product placement tells me a lot about how valued your brand is by, by the organizations that's in the grocery store even. So I am, I am so centered around the experience. And because of the unique situation that I have at Endeavis, I get to touch the experience for our business development and our sales folks. I get to touch experience on our recruiting side with um, our recruiters and our sourcers and understanding how we talk to candidates. And I get to advise our clients on best practices on how to interact with their marketing leaders, because oftentimes our direct interface is with HR. So I get to talk to HR about, hey, these are the conversations that you need to be taking to your chief marketing officer, to your VPs of marketing. And here's how you and marketing can work together to create an experience or to accurately portray your experience in the marketplace. So that's kind of the kind of setting up who I am, what I do, where I'm from, and and what that experience looks like, and, and thinking about all of the different experiences I've had that gotten me here today with you, Mac. So, well, and I hope this is a good experience. <laughs> so, so let's go back to that because you use that word multiple times. So when we talk about an experience, is that as me as a candidate, I'm basically coming to the interview to kick the tires on your company. Am I looking for what life would be like working there? Is that what you're talking about with experience? Absolutely. And in fact, 
most organizations have it totally backwards, especially today, because 40, 50 years ago, if I put a manufacturing plant in Cookville, Tennessee, the people that were going to work at that manufacturing plant probably live within a 30 mile radius of that plant. Right. And, and they knew that they had potentially one job that they could work for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And that's how organizations built their workforce because they could go out to a random location throughout the U.S., smack it down and say, okay, we're good. Today, in the service-based industry that we have, and now post-COVID, everything is, is far more virtual than it was before. The experience is everything on how, how I interact with that recruiter. I have power. As a candidate, I have options. In fact, I have options that have no geographic bounds to me potentially any longer. Right. Especially as a as an experienced professional, as a as a creative, as a leader, as a manager, I can have conversations one on one with team members across the world because of the computer, the camera and the microphone that I have sitting in front of me today. And I can build a relationship with them. I've done it. I have I have team members in New Jersey and in Ohio and across the country that I haven't seen in over a year that previously to me being in this role, we were peers and now I'm their leader and we have great relationships. We have great conversations. And so, yes, as a candidate, I'm looking to understand what the organization that I'm, I'm having a conversation with is going to be like. I, in, in fact, I would almost argue that the interview is more about, about them selling me on their organization than me selling myself to them because mm -hmm. I have options. And it, and I will also say that, even at the hourly level, we're seeing it right here in Middle Tennessee. Candidates have options. Even unskilled labor has options. They can go work at any number of places. They can work in, in retail. They can work in the restaurant business. They can work in manufacturing. They can work in agriculture. They can work in healthcare. So who's going to treat me better? Who, who's going, where am I going to find an experience that meets my basic, you know, Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? Like if, if they're all paying in the mid, mid teens, 15, 16, $17 an hour, where's the best work-life balance for me? Where can I find hours that I can pick up my kids from school at and be home with them in the evenings? Or maybe it means maybe it's better for me to work overnight. Where can I find an opportunity where I can work overnight? And so it's more about the candidate today having options than it is about the employer dictating those terms. But we're not there yet because employers haven't realized that they're no longer in charge. Mm -hmm. They no longer get to control that, that aspect of the hiring process because I want to know who you are. We'll get to me later, right? Find, tell me who you are because I don't have time to talk to 45 different companies about me. Mm -hmm. But doesn't that isn't that predicated on the economy? Because, you know, I, I was doing some outplacement work around the recession, 2008, 2009. And that's where and I was we were living in the Washington, D.C. area. So, you know, high level executives were getting dumped as well as everybody else. And then it became really an employer's market. And then like they didn't have to put up with nonsense. It's like you yep. got a pulse. Uh, fine. But I need something with all these skills. Has it really transformed to where it's become a candidate's market now rather than a company's market, even in this in this COVID time? Yeah, you're going to say recession, I heard, but it, it's just a weird we're in this weird time, right? Because are we in a recession? Are we not? Are, what are we waiting for? 
because it's it's uh, April 21st as we record this today. So vaccines are rolling out. Um, people understand that there's an opportunity at the other end of the, the kind of the other end of the rainbow. Apologize for the extra extra noise. My neighbor's uh, car just fired up, and yeah, so now we get a, we get a train that goes past here too. So yeah. <laughs> she's ready to go she's racing. Real. Every yeah, <laughs> every day about one o'clock, she's ready to go for a race. But so what I will say is that it's not going away because, especially in metropolitan markets, th- there is so much pent up demand right now that organizations are so far behind that their need to satisfy their own clients, this is going to linger on for a significant amount of time. Mm -hmm. And the difference I think between now and say 2008 is the access to a virtual work environment that didn't exist just just 12 years ago. I mean, shoot, the iPhone was barely out in 2008. Right. We are so much more digital and virtual in just all of our experiences today than we were in 2008. And so for that reason, Candidates are going to continue to own the process because organizations need them. Even when we had unemployment rates at 25 to 3%, they still had options. The, they, the people at that point, the people that didn't want to work probably were the ones that were being counted as not working, right? And so even at 3% unemployment, just before COVID started, candidates knew that they had options for where they wanted to go work because the demand was there. I don't know that I've talked to one organization in the last five years that feels as if they are adequately supplied from their talent pipeline needs. And that to me is actually probably a failure, not only on the organization, but on our educational system and and our, our local workforce development groups to make sure that they have the talent that's needed for the local lo- local organizations. Mm-hmm. Well, it may be a little different in Middle Tennessee. I don't know because it seems like everybody's moving here. And the people <laughs> that are moving here tend to be yeah. very highly qualified. So, you know, for locals, I don't know. It's going to be tough to compete with somebody who comes from someplace else. But that's yeah. that's Nashville. I have clients in outlying areas from here where they have such a hard time finding talent because the jobs don't pay well or they're not that exciting. Then it's a matter of if you got a pulse, then... I'll take you. And yeah. And you know, when in one case there's a factory that I do some business with, the only other alternative is a chicken processing plant. So both suck, but yeah. like which one sucks less? That's a very, that. a very different situation than probably what you recruit for, because uh, it's probably a little different. But my fear, and I don't know if this is something that people talk about, is that at what point are are we spoiling people? I mean, I can think about my kids if they were little, I'll say, well. I really want to have the best experience at home. So we want to go to Disney or Universal and we're going to go on vacation every month because, you know, the other family only goes twice a year. We want to go 12 times a year. At what point does this become almost like a circus? Uh, Well, that's a good question, Mac. Um, And I don't know that I have the right answer to it, but I, I I can say that we have situations where the we work with with the world's largest glass bottle manufacturer and their plants in the summer are between 150 to 170 degrees. Jeez. So it's miserable. Um, granted, do they have to deal with chicken blood? No, because I know that's, a, that's an experience um, that most people don't have the stomach for potentially. But you know what? Working in a 150 to 170 degree environment also is not a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And what we find there is that, and, and we tell them, we tell our client this, 
the key to your talent acquisition is the retention of the current employees that you have. And how do you retain those current employees? You keep them from, from getting fed up, Mac. And the, the way you do that is by treating them with, with respect and dignity and, and realizing that every day they come to work in a facility for you that's 150 degrees and it's miserable and it's, it's dirty and hot and, and dangerous to a certain degree. So how do you, how do you value those people? And so I get the idea of, of maybe it seems like a, a circus on the surface, but at the end of the day, we should want to take care of people. And I'm a big believer in empathetic leadership and in understanding the, the plight and the needs of, of your employees. And so in a lot of these rural communities, which I grew up in one, my dad was a truck driver and my mom worked a number of jobs from a beautician to a, to a dollar general store manager to a pharmacy tech, not a lot of opportunities. So she's always had to jump around to figure out what she's going to do next. Um, and I know that no matter where, what was important in all these, in, in for every situation my parents worked at was, did they have flexibility? Did it feel like their, their managers and leaders cared about them as people? And even in, a, even in a manufacturing plant that, that houses 250 plus employees, people just want to know that somebody's got their back because, they can't rely on there, there's not they don't want to rely on the government. Right. They they are just trying to earn a living for their family and they'd like to do it in a situation that not that's not going to put them at risk in their life. Right. So kind of going back to the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Am I am I fed? Am I sheltered? Am I protected? Mm -hmm. And on top of that, all that they're looking for, in my opinion, is just to be heard and listened to and feel like somebody cares about them. So I. I know from a top-down perspective, it often seems like, ah, these people just want everything, right? But if you go live a day in their life, they really just want somebody to, to see what it looks like from their perspective. That's that's how I view it, Mac. Yeah. No, it makes sense. You know, I just keep thinking, you know, like for me, I work for myself. So, you know, nobody can create a better work condition for me than me. But sure. for somebody else, you know, that would, I guess what my, and now this is something else that you, you, focus on is, you know, engagement, you know, what would keep a person at a place for X amount of years? And, you know, if it's all about, you know, shiny objects that fades, you know, I remember years ago, I was working at a, uh, it was a pharmaceutical in Scottsdale, Arizona, and you walk in and there's this little creek that runs through the front office where you, you, know, you cross a little bridge and go see the receptionist and whatever. And I remember telling my son, he was in middle school. I said, man, you'd love this place, Dustin, because they have uh, free sodas. And then, they have a game room. You know, they had a meditation room. He's like, oh, I want to work there. I don't even care what the job is. I just want to work there. But that's, you know, he's not thinking career development. He's thinking partners. Um, <laughs> so I guess it has to be a balance of all those. If ideally you retain the talent that you want to keep and then you can, you know, get rid of the ones that don't seem to fit in. Yeah. And I think that you're right. Perks are, perks, perks change too over time. Right. And I think that that perks that were maybe important to to my parents' generation are different than the perks that um, you know myself as a millennial have been looking for, and and even as a millennial, the the Gen Gen Z individuals that are entering the workplace today, they probably have a whole different list of things that they value, right? And I know that millennials value um, time at home because we saw many of our Gen X parents work their life away because we were the first generation to be raised primarily by by dual 
dual working parents, right? Mm -hmm. Or living predominantly in a single parent household where maybe that parent was working two jobs. And so I think when we look at millennials as, as, as the, the group of, of individuals now that are taking over the vast majority of jobs in the United States and across the world, what we're seeing is, is that millennials care a lot about their time and, and understanding the value of their efforts and, and making sure that people um, respect them and, and treat them with um, uh, empathy and, and understanding what their value set is. And I think that time off is important because we look at, 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 just as I mentioned, we were looking at our Gen X parents and saw how much they worked and how much we wish that we could have had time with them. And we look at the ability to have flexible hours to, um, to, to see our kids grow up and, and be able to go see their athletic events and, and not be kind of left hanging like maybe some of them were whenever their parents couldn't come to their athletic events or their, their scholar bowls, et cetera. And so it, it's kind of a long-winded way of saying perks, perks evolve. And I think that true engagement comes from the leaders that are in the organization, not from the CEO. The CEO does dictate a certain message and the, the CEO also has a lot of sway over how individuals end up responding to uh, leadership. But I think the CEO's presence is to kind of set a tone in who they who they hire and how they manage the, the rest of the C-suite and VPs. That that affects how those individuals then manage the, the next level down, your managers, your supervisors, et cetera. And so when we look at where the vast majority of most organizations work, work, workers are, they're in that hourly rate, you know, in the teens, anywhere from $10 an hour to $25 an hour. Uh, maybe it's skilled labor, maybe it's unskilled, um, maybe it's, it's, it's service-based, et cetera, but they just want to feel as if the person that they report to uh, sees the work that they're doing and respects them for the work that they do. And I think if if most organizations could just get better at understanding that piece of it, it would go a long way towards retaining and engaging the employees that they have. The biggest challenge, is, which is where I think what I love what you do, and the reason why I'm on the podcast today is because I saw one of your trainings, Mac, is that they don't train supervisors and managers to be supervisors and managers. They take the best person that's currently maybe working that hourly job. And they say, you know what? Mac is our hardest worker. We should make him a supervisor. Well, guess what? Mac has no friggin' idea how to lead people, <laughs> right? <laughs> he, he doesn't know what matters. He just thinks the reason I'm in this position is because I worked hard, mm -hmm. right? And that's what they valued. And I came in every day at, and these are my values and principles. And I got my work done. And you know what? Everybody else that I'm managing, they need to be just like me. Unfortunately, they're not. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do we train frontline supervisors and managers to be to to understand people better? I think that's where most organizations fall incredibly short is on um, investing in their mid-level and below leaders. Yeah, well, I'm going to play this at, at a billion decibels because, yeah, I want people to come over here and buy some training from me. But uh, <laughs> no, it makes sense, Chris. I mean, you're preaching to the choir. It's absolutely true. This experience. So, you know, you're a marketing person and you talked about, you know, the companies need to start selling the experience. What are your thoughts when you see ads like because I see them a lot on the TV now for, you know, the uh, the armed forces recruiting. 
And, you know, they show the, the girl saying, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. And then they show her in uniform or whatever. I mean, it makes it look like you're going to join and immediately, you know, be on top of the food chain. Now, I have been there, right? I was in the military for 15 <laughs> years. And what they don't show you is all the shitty jobs you got to do before you even get considered to do something beyond sure. just entry level. Um, the challenge then is you go and enlist for six years. Yeah, you're stuck. This was me. Yeah. That's my story. Like, this sucks. And I yeah. can't quit for six years. So, I mean, what is the line between portraying a wonderful experience and then the experience that all of us have on a daily basis? And at what point do we not overemphasize the great, but make a balance? So there's a realistic expectation. Right. Like, I mean, not every day is going to be an awesome day. I thank you for that because I've seen those military videos or military ads and, and you're right. I've never been in the military, but I got to think that they, those, those videos are probably a bit misleading on what that experience. No, is they are a lot misleading. I can just tell you, <laughs> I shouldn't be a military recruiter because they'd be like, no, I'm going to tell you guys, it ain't that great. It will be eventually, but it won't be right after you get out of boot camp. and boot camp right. is, alone is enough to like make you think this sucks. Exactly. There's a reason for it, obviously. Yeah. A lot of a lot of good things come from the military, um, but I feel like there probably is some misleading in, in those ads, no, no doubt. I'm a big believer in realistic job expectation videos, and it's something that we've launched um, about three years ago at Endeavis, where we we actually try to grab footage of what the inside of a of a of a facility looks like, um, whether it's healthcare or manufacturing. And they're short videos, 30 to 60 seconds. Um, maybe it's a still photo, but it has copy written over the top of it. But it gives someone an idea what what's in there, right? Mm -hmm. I've never seen the inside of a, of a glass manufacturing plant. But now I know because I just watched a video that showed fire. Mm. <laughs> you know, it looked hot, right? Now, I, now I'm getting a better understanding of what's behind the curtains that I'm not seeing. And authenticity is just under experience in my opinion like you you must create authentic realistic marketing in order to be successful selling and recruiting so if you want to generate revenue you've got to be authentic and if you want to to hire the best people you need to be authentic because you're right if if i am sold something that i find out to be not the same as what i was sold i'm checked out immediately whether I've bought it or I'm I'm going to an organization. And so if I walk in the door and I say, whoa, wait a second, this is not what we talked about. In the military, you can't get out, right? <laughs> right? In that situation, you're locked in. But this is where it comes back to expectations in the workforce. There's a lot of options out there. Even in rural communities, there's options. And you know what? People are millennials, in fact, are more transient than any generation that, that has come before them. Um, since the industrial revolution, if, if it doesn't exist here, then maybe I just need to pack up my bags and move out of town. Mm -hmm. That's why we're seeing explosive growth in metropolitan areas throughout the South. Right. And it's the reason why New York city and LA and San Francisco and Chicago are the four, four cities where people are leaving the quickest right now, especially during COVID because they were so locked down. They were saying, where can I go live? Where can I go work differently? And the same thing, that's what's happening to rural America. Unfortunately, I'm, I, I flighted away from rural America because there weren't any opportunities there for me. And I know that there's plenty of people that, that are back home right now that are constantly facing the pressure of if, if, the, if the plant closes, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? 
They're going to have to go someplace, likely. And that's why it's so important that we create authentic experiential ways for people to to see what's on the inside, what's behind the curtain. Whether and there's actually a company out of San Francisco, um, and I and I had them on um, my podcast as well. I'll share the company with with you, Mac, after the fact because I'm I'm blanking on their name. Uh, no, it's called Before You Apply. There it is. Okay. Before you, good good group of people out there. What's cool about what they're doing is their organization actually hires interviewers and their interviewers sit down. We'll take, we'll, we'll use engineering as, as the example here. They'll sit down with three members of the engineering team and they'll have an hour long conversation with this engineer, with the engineering team group, not leaders, but the people that are actually working and the interviewer cues up conversations by saying, what's it like to work here? What is, what does your day-to-day look like? And so that way, what they end up doing with these videos is they splice them together. Um, and instead of having a, a, an interview, maybe as my first, as my way of getting questions asked, they use this video as part of the job description at the very top on their website page. And you go to the job and it says, click here to learn what this job's about. Now I'm learning from what could be three of my future peers what the job is mm-hmm. rather than me hearing from a recruiter who's heard it secondhand from the hiring manager who sees it through their eyes rather than the eyes of their employees. And I think that's such an innovative way to look at how you, how you portray yourself in the market. Is it for everyone? No. Cause I, I know that it's, it's probably quite expensive to, to put together a strategy for that. But if you think about maybe your, your, your jobs that have the most turnover, one way to reduce turnover is to clarify the expectations of the job. We've seen this with the job expectation videos, for instance, with a CNA. A lot of times people didn't understand what it was like to be in a skilled nursing facility because mm-hmm. we work with some skilled nursing companies that they they will hire you and then you'll go through the licensing process um, as part of a class. So you're signing up to be a CNA before maybe you really know what a CNA is. Uh, Tell you what, being a CNA is not a not a fun job either, yeah. and they don't pay a whole lot to be a CNA, right? So mm-hmm. if I understand, I, I can visually see things a lot easier than me reading a job description and trying to understand what does that actually mean to you know to bathe someone, mm-hmm. right, or to help them use the restroom. That video will help to clarify some of that um, in in someone's mind. So I just think that authenticity. Be honest with people, Mac. It's coming back to the empathy and and it's just being real. I think that's the key for organizations to improve hiring and retention. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of people, they'll go and read the Glassdoor reviews, which, you know, people don't go on Glassdoor to say what an amazing experience because they left the company. So all you're really getting is the most negative. Now, maybe people need to understand that because, you know, behind the facade is reality. But what you're suggesting is let's just go ahead and pull the reality right out front so you can see what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I I can't remember who it was, but it was some explorer who was going to take a trip to the North Pole or one of the South Pole, one of them, and said that the journey's dangerous. You might die. I mean, it looked like it would suck, but he had no shortage of people that wanted to go, just like the military. I mean, typically people that go in already have family members who can say it's not what it seems on TV. But you say, but it's what I want to do. So, you know, I guess I like that authenticity. I mean, if it's going to be a tough job, don't let people discover it by accident. Let them know what they're getting in for. 
Absolutely. What is the what is the average cost of turnover for like an average company? Because I know that that number is a it's a pretty crucial one. You know, I mean, so you're you're suggesting we're going to invest a lot of money on the front end, mm-hmm. but it should pay off on the back end. What's the typical Absolutely. cost of turnover? It varies from entry level to experience. In fact, yesterday on LinkedIn, I saw an article about how losing a hypo, so hypo short for high potential, losing a hypo could cost upwards of four to five times the salary of that individual because of the amount of time invested, their their the brain drain that leaves and the the need to recruit and 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 train the next person coming. So if you think about it from that end, especially like leaders and, and high potential leaders or, or just extraordinary leaders in general, if, if they're making a hundred thousand, you're looking at a half a million dollar loss if they leave the organization, right? And what you do to recoup that. Now, as you move into maybe more streamlined roles like nursing or production workers, that number is going to decrease. However, the math gets gets fuzzy here because what happens is is yes the cost to replace one person might only be five thousand dollars we'll say five thousand but now the challenge is retaining the the other if there's 10 people on that production team for example and you lose one somebody's probably working overtime somebody is angry because that person left and maybe they left because they were getting a high higher paying job now you're dealing with morale issues production quality goes down because they're saying man john just went over to make 18 bucks an hour over at at you know a manufacturing we should be how do we get over there and all of a sudden now they're having those conversations internally we see it a lot in nursing mac mm-hmm. what and, and especially over the last year because travel nurses enter healthcare facilities and nurses talk, okay? And they, they talk especially at 2 a.m. when leaders aren't around. And they, they, they ask, they ask questions. They'll say, how much are you making? And what that registered nurse that's a full-time staff nurse will find out is that that travel nurse is making 20, 30, $40 an hour more than the person that's, that's full-time and dedicated. Mm-hmm. Like they're coming in every single day. Like this is my job. And yet we bring in somebody from the outside that's making $40 an hour more than me. I would have taken some overtime hours. Mm-hmm. So then immediately you get angry because we all have feelings. We all want to feel valued again. The value piece comes back. And now all of a sudden these nurses are saying, well, if you're paying her that I want to be paid, I, you can pay me. You can afford to pay me more then, Right. And you just get this natural inclination of people who who all of a sudden don't feel valued. So the, the cost of turnover is is negligible, in my opinion, to understanding the trends that you have and understanding that why you lose people, because number one, why you lose people is not pay. Regardless of what they've told you, I guarantee you that they're not leaving for 50 cents an hour more because of 50 cents an hour more. It's because I'm it's because I didn't really like the, my my supervisor and you have very strict hours that don't allow me flexibility. Oh, and I can make 50 cents an hour more someplace else. Mm-hmm. Right. There, there's pay is so easy to use an ex, as an excuse for leaving. So the cost of turnover is, is, is so widely varied across industry and positions. 
I think it's more important to focus on why people are leaving and when they're leaving, when being really important, and then understanding what you're going to do about it. Having having an understanding of how you approach turnover as well, because just throwing a bunch of money and resources at turnover doesn't necessarily solve the problem on the front end. It's also looking at your management team and saying, we have turnover. Why? Why, why is there turnover occurring? Because we're looking at competitive, we're somewhere in the 50th percentile for pay. We should be doing okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they're leaving because they don't like their managers. They're, 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 they, they feel that maybe the, the facilities aren't close enough to home for them. They just need to understand why. Mm-hmm. Most organizations get too caught up in the numbers and the black and white to ask those, those questions of why, who, how, what, et cetera. So start asking those questions, and I think you'll understand the, the true cost of turnover might be either less or more than you, than you really think it is. Well, I guess the best strategy is prevent it from happening. On that note, what are your thoughts on, and I guess uh, because we're nearing the end of our time, I guess we're not going to talk about return to work, but maybe this is more (laughs) important because the return to work means you're going to have to get some people returning to work. Absolutely. I like the where this is going, but what are your thoughts on like for my son, when he started his job and then he moved to Reno, he got a signing bonus, right? It was pretty decent size, but he's got to give a two-year commitment. Now, is that really just a false engagement there? Because I worry that that second year of the two-year commitment, you're like, I hate this place, but I got to stay to make sure I don't have to pay my bonus back or a prorated version of it. And then what you have, I would imagine, is probably a lot of disgruntled people looking at the calendar saying, January 1st, I'm out of here. And already looking for another position. I hate sign-on bonuses for the reasons that you stated, right? Because it... It doesn't reward retention or connectivity within the organization. It rewards act, uh, the acquisition of, of said talent, mm-hmm. which if if you were rewarding the people that you have and valuing the, the employees that are currently in the business, then they're going to be much more likely to recommend other people like them to come work there, mm-hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, what you're trying to find is people that enjoy coming to work every day and working together because if I enjoy my job, I feel like I'm paid fairly. I'm going to produce work that is that is either above average or extremely above average because I'm, I'm enjoying what I do. It's my craft, mm-hmm. right? When we when we put sign-on bonuses at the front, and especially when you put a timestamp on them to say, well, you've got to make it two years, I'm immediately saying from the very time that I get there, I got to make it to two years. Mm. And when you, when you make it to 18 months, you're like, well, I've only got six months left. I... I'm going to start, you know, maybe I'm going to go update my LinkedIn profile, mm-hmm. right? And start talking about what I'm, what I've done here. I'm going to start having conversation with recruiters. Whereas if you just keep them happy in the first place, maybe you wouldn't have had the opening to begin with that you needed the sign on bonus to get somebody to come work for you. Mm-hmm. So, and, and there, we see them a lot in healthcare with nurses and that is just the complete opposite way that I, I feel that you should value, value healthcare professionals. Treat the ones that are staying with more with more re- rewards and resources than the ones that you're trying to go get. Yeah. Because again, nurses talk and they'll tell other people, don't come work here. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Well, you know, and the travel nurse comparison is really a false comparison because it is a totally different thing. 
You yeah, know, it staff is. nurse, you got the politics and all these other things of a hospital because that's what hospitals have. But yep. travel nurse is a hired gun. You know, there's no commitment, yep. and you know, so it's a different animal. It's not for everybody. Well, the yeah. last the last question I have for you, Chris. So it may sound like I hate the military. No, I hated when I was in the military. It wasn't for me. I have the greatest. <laughs> my wife was in for thirty years. I was in fifteen. And but that He's said, that yeah, yeah. I mean, and I asked my wife, you know, when COVID was going on. So we're both we were both in healthcare in the Navy. I was a dental assistant. She was a healthcare administrator. But you know, when they when COVID was really bad last year, and they activated the Mercy and the Comfort, the two military hospital ships. I asked her, I says, hey, Barb, if they were to call you and say, hey, we need some of you retired officers to come and help us with this, would you go? She said, I wouldn't even be here for dinner. I'd be gone now. I mean, she loves it. So that said, um, there are some folks who are, and I've done work with the Hiring Our Heroes cohort up at Fort Campbell. So I understand this pretty well. When they are getting ready to get out, whether they're trans they're transitioning out after you know five years, whatever, or a full career of 20, 30 years, what would you be your advice to them as they because many of them don't really know what they want to do in their second career. There may not be an opportunity for someone that, you know, slings an M60 machine gun to just find a, a reasonable like job. You know, what would be your recommendation for them as they start planning their transition to find the perfect fit? And that is opposite of going to Glassdoor. What would you recommend? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm by no means a recruitment military or military recruitment expert, but what I would recommend to them is to a understand what their their job and was in the military. What did they like about it? What did they not like about it? What and think more deeply than just like the operational task of it. Were you were you around people? Did you how did you interact with people? What was the public facing nature of, of the job? Maybe it was a job where, you know, your role versus your wife's role in the military are totally different, even though they're both in healthcare, mm -hmm. right? As a dental assistant, actually, that's a that's a very interesting job in and of itself because you become a talker, right? Because people are enjoy people can't talk while they're getting their teeth taken care of, but they, they do enjoy having somebody that engages with them through the process mm -hmm. at the very least. Um, it, it eliminates, it eliminates the need for, I'm concerned. Are they not, they're not talking. I'm concerned about what's happening now. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so that feedback is important. Whereas your wife as administrator was a leader. She had mm -hmm. to, she had to interact with different uh, managers and directors, I'm sure um, type roles in the military. So, Whereas hers was maybe a bit more internal facing, yours was facing external um, service providers. So, or who you were providing service to. So, I think number one, understanding what you like, dislike about the, the job in the in the military, understanding which of those skills are transferable. Which I also, on a different topic, believe that you hire for soft skills, you you teach um, you teach the hard skills. Mm -hmm. Not nearly enough companies do that or interview or hire for soft skills. They're always looking for a hard skill that, that translates, um, to think is the, the most backwards way of, of managing it all. Unless um, you're uh, hiring a brain surgeon then. Unless you're hiring a brain surgeon, yeah. then I, then I do Let's want to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, there's a lot of doctors that could use a lot better soft skills. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yes. So, but, understand what you like, dislike, and understand how it transfers, and then find people that understand how to how to help you sell yourself. Um, another thing that I'd probably recommend is, is finding 
organizations that are are definitely military friendly that understand you know what it is that you you went through etc and also go on go on to linkedin which not nearly enough people use that platform and search for individuals that past company was listed as the army the navy department of defense etc and try to find people like you that are now no longer in public service like the military and try to connect with them. I guarantee you people love connecting with people like them. Mm-hmm. And I got to think if the military is like any alumni database, which I'm pretty sure that it is, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be very responsive to talking to somebody else that's went through what they went through and help them. That would be my number one recommendation is find people like you out there, utilize LinkedIn. Maybe it's a Facebook search, but you can do that. If you don't know how to do those searches, um, definitely would encourage them to do that. And I know we didn't get to return to work, and I and I had a lot of great things um, that I wanted to talk about to that. So to kind of wrap it up, what I will say is that as your organizations return to work, Mac, ask ask yourself why we're returning to the office, and then talk to your employees about what they like about working at home, what they like about working from an office, and and give people options. Don't be rigid. This is not the time to be rigid because you've allowed immense flexibility for the last year. And I understand a lot of people are saying, I want to get people back into the office. But I think that the worst thing that you can start to do right now is become a dictator, a dictatorial workplace hmm. and and return to, to hardline, excuse me, to, to hardline stances around how we how we engage one another in the workplace. Don't don't do that. Please don't be rigid if you're listening. If you're talking, if, if your CEO, if your CFO is saying, well, we're spending all this money, you know what? You're going to spend the money one way or the other on the on the facility until your, until your lease runs out. I suggest you figure out a way that you use it, that your employees want to, to use it for. Because I think if you talk to them, if you just talk to them, you'll find out some really interesting things. And I think a lot more people would like to be in the workplace than you may realize. And a lot more people may want to work from home and they probably don't need to come to a workplace to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. If they can get their work done, where does it matter where they get their work done? So keep that in mind as you return to work. That's great advice. Yeah. And uh, I think that this is a chance, you know, we did a little talk the other day at my, one of my uh, business partners and I on rebranding, you know, and maybe if you have uh, as a supervisor, you haven't been around your workforce. Now's your chance to do those changes. Maybe you learn in a training program. There's a it's it's kind of like the ultimate do-over. And it sense. is. And so you know, it it's really exciting is. times. And uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to hopefully. I don't say new normal. I just say maybe just new reality because who knows yeah. what normal is. I know I'm absolutely not normal. Uh, you're very <laughs> normal, but not me. But uh, Chris, this has really been a great talk. And I've learned so much today just about the recruiting world that I didn't know and understand. And so if you're listening today and you could use some help with your branding, your company branding, your strategy, how would a person reach out to you, Chris? Uh, find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com backslash in in backslash t chris nichols is how you can find me on linkedin so that's my url there or you can search chris nichols and um, my organizations in devis if there's there, there's quite a few chris nichols out there so um find find the, the bald guy with a beard that might help a little bit too um and you can find me on twitter at chris nichols 89 
would love to connect with you there. You can also check out our podcast, uh, the Talent Tide podcast, which I host, and we talk to leaders um, from 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 businesses, from CEOs to, to COOs to to HR leaders, as well as service providers that are are selling into and, and servicing. Um, organizations in a number of different ways. So a lot of different ways to connect with me, Mac. And I, I really love talking to people. My my number one core value is help first. So please, if you have questions, if you want to know something, you feel like you're 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 alone on an island with with a, a theory or a thought, reach out. I'd love to either verify it or uh, let you know maybe you need to need to walk that that theory backwards a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really useful. Well, Chris, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with us. And if you're listening today, uh, seriously, Chris is a real deal. Please look him up, uh, engage with him. I do think you're going to be very pleased that you did. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Mac. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>